Do you like horror? Sci-fi? Superheroes? Comics and adventure. SunsetCrypt.com has you covered. With reviews and articles. Two associated podcasts. Hot damn! Topics on a ton of bullshit and all geekery grounds with Crypt Keepers Curtis Sturrock, Steve Brown, and Jeff Smith. SunsetCrypt.com. Only the reader knows what awaits them. His name is Curtis Durrock There's not much that he won't mock But he'll talk to his friends about sex and rear ends Yeah, it's wrestling with myself Some know him as Scotty O'Shea And he's really into ass play Steve Brown tags along and Mello wrote the song It's wrestling with myself Wrestling with myself Sometimes he does it by himself Discussing wrestling in movies Drugs, hookers, and boobies It's wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself On a Friday night He's got his flashlight It's wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Whoa-ho Wrestling with myself Discussing wrestling in movies Drugs, hookers, and boobies Myself. Whoa, whoa, wrestling with myself. Whoa, whoa, wrestling with myself. Discussing wrestling in movies, drugs, hookers, and boobies. Wrestling with myself. All right. Hello, Elian Habanero. Are we live? We are fucking live, buddy. We're on. Oh, shit. All right, I'll try and go where the the, the reception is better. Hey, don't worry about it. The, the, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Wait, per- can, oh, okay. I can hear you perfect. You sound great. Oh, thanks. I feel great. <laughs> thanks for coming on, dude. I'm super excited for this. Um, you're a guy who has interested me since literally probably the moment I saw you. Because I probably saw you take the craziest fucking bump ever and just get up and walk away like it was nothing. You were like the Terminator. So there's a ton I want to get into, and I just uh, thank you so much for coming on. I know we don't see each other too often, but I, as as well as many others, hold you in a very high regard. And I don't think you actually, well, I I don't know if you understand that, but I want to, throughout this podcast, kind of just put in place how well-respected by so many guys you really are. And uh, I'm excited to kind of, like, flesh some of your story out. Holy crap, man. Uh, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I know I know some of the real ones know, like, what, but I've just not ever reached that mass appeal in Ontario. But I think the the ones that know, know sure, yeah. what, I, what I bring to the table. Of course. And that's good enough for me. Having the respect of some of your peers is, is really the most important, I think. I'm right in the same boat as you. As I've gotten older... Uh, I think my goals have changed. I, I don't think. I know they've changed. And uh, 
I've realized I don't know if I want a main event WrestleMania anymore. I might, but it's not what I focus on anymore. Uh, I don't know if I want to go to WWE. I don't know what I want, to be honest. But the one thing I'm dead certain that I do want is the respect for my peers and to have fun while performing. That is, like, top-tier things that I focus on more than anything. So hearing you kind of say that as well, it, it gives comfort to me because sometimes I feel like I'm a, I'm a loner when I admit that uh, maybe I don't want a contract anymore. I just don't know what I want. So it, I don't know. Like I don't even know if I ever really wanted that, even myself. I always just wanted to be a wrestler. Like I honestly wanted to be the one, two, three kid. I just wanted to be because I was. I mean, for now, I'm I'm considered decent size in the indies. But when I started, I was tiny. Like for sure, yeah. In, in two thousand, like man, everybody was huge and like. And uh, I just wanted to be on the show. I never thought I would ever win a match. I never wanted to win a match. I just wanted to be able to say I was a wrestler and have my dreams come true. Obviously, I would have took any opportunity that came my way, but I never seeked it out. Like, I never tried to get booked. I never, ever tried to get booked anywhere. No, I, I get it, dude. It's a... Uh, wrestling in itself is a, is a world unlike anything other out, out there. So it's this very strange thing, because I remember I, I went for years because... Maybe it's similar to you. I was told I was too small and I shouldn't be a wrestler, even while I was wrestling. So kind oh, of yeah. even like the training, like yeah, they tried to weed people out and yeah, I eventually earned everyone's respect in that aspect. Even the bigger, tougher guys just for having heart, basically. That's kind of what eventually came to me. I never looked for bookings because I said if I really don't belong, I won't search out bookings. But if somebody approaches me to book me, I won't say no. And that's kind of just what happened and got the ball rolling. And then years later, I'm fortunate enough to still be doing it. And it's just, it, it's a very, it's a very quirky thing. There's no right and wrong with many things in wrestling. And uh, it's just a lot of people's perception about you. So Yeah, and I think for us, like, you know, we're having other jobs and it's not our full-time job if you're gonna do it as a hobby you have to love it like if i understand once people go full-time at it then it's not about the love anymore it's about providing with your family i'm sure they still love it but it's also yeah. like more of a 50 50 thing no oh, absolutely Whereas when you're doing it on your weekends from your real job and if you have a family or whatnot or any of that like a spouse or kids then you have to make sure you love it or it's just not worth the time you you only have a precious amount of time that's it um i want to go back because i truly don't know almost anything about your start and i believe your start all i could be wrong i believe it blends in a little with eddie osborne's start and i don't know anything about his and that's all interesting to me oh yeah sure man i, I mean a lot of people don't know me either i'm not like it's pretty nice to rub elbows with the cool crowd because I've never been in with anybody other than really Eddie and, and PWA or Pre-65 now. But um, So, yeah, a lot of people don't know a lot about me, and I appreciate you kind of giving me this platform and putting me over, basically. So, Oh, please tell me. Honestly, my pleasure. I'm, I really don't think you understand how, like, well-received you are. I think I know, like, from, like, people, like, that constantly have been putting me over throughout the years and when you see them at a show, even if it's, like, once every two years. There's, like, some where I get that feeling from, but I think, like, it's funny how the new guys have no clue, and that's half of that's my fault because I don't put myself out there and I don't make an effort because I don't really care what anybody thinks, whereas I used to so much. Yep. Like, I w it would eat me up inside for weeks after one little thing. No, I think there's a lot of, like, uh, a power in not giving a shit, 
and um, sometimes not giving a shit comes across as not caring, and I can understand how that would make sense to somebody, but it's not always true. Just not caring about somebody's opinion about you or, or anything in general. It's just, uh, to me, I kind of weigh it out as, uh, it's just unnecessary stress I kind of take off my back immediately, because I kind of live my life not giving a shit, but I care about so many things, and I understand how people can kind of misconstrue that. Yeah, yeah, especially when, like, it's it's easier for me doing this like this, whereas in person I'm, like, socially awkward. I hate making eye contact. I, I fidget with my fingers and stuff where it's it's kind of nice to do it. I know we've been meaning to do it in person for so long, and that's kind of on me because I haven't been able to get down there. No, 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 don't, don't worry. It is, it, it is a little bit more of my comfort zone doing it this way as well just because I, like, I'm – I don't know what to say, and I hate making eye contact with people and, like, that kind of crap, right? Dude, you're preaching to the choir, and I started a podcast. What you're saying is resonating so much. Yeah, I know. We could have done it on Twitch, but I think you got banned on Twitch with the whole McNugget thing. Yeah, I pulled up my balls to try to make somebody puke, and I got banned. But, you know, that's a story for another day. But let's start with you. Let's let's get into it. You, You said you started in year 2000? Uh, yeah, that's when I started. That's when I graduated. Okay. Uh, I, I grew up, this young Cuban kid, I grew up in Campbell River, British Columbia. Small town on Vancouver Island, population like 20,000 back then. I don't know what it is now. And, um, you know, I, I loved wrestling ever since I was a little kid. And so that I grew up in the 80s. So it was like just, we only got WWF there. I never heard of anything else. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I fell in love with wrestling. I got all the Coliseum videos and everything. And then when I was like 15... Uh, one of my best friends, there was only two high schools in town, and one of my best friends moved to the other side of town, but his parents let him still go to our high school. He just had to take uh, like the city bus. <laughs> so he met all these new friends in the neighborhood, and they were all into wrestling, so we started Backyard Wrestling. Oh, right and that's on. where I met Eddie Osborne and a couple other guys that are near and dear to my heart. And uh, uh, he, he was a year younger than me. So anyway, we started Backyard Wrestling, and taping it and i was in video and media classes in high school so i like edit our tapes and make top five moves of the week and right on slow motion them and stuff i always loved doing that stuff too so then i like <clears throat> by that time my parents had divorced so i lived with my mom and she was like follow your dreams and i wanted to be a wrestler and i've been saying it and saying it since like 14 and i loved other sports and i wanted to be a writer and a pilot and stuff too but i'm like this is the one i should go for first because those ones i can do later on in life i felt that's pr- so, uh, that's very uh, that's very forward thinking of you to know like hey wrestlers have a short window so if I'm gonna do it that's probably got to be front of the list for now because yeah you you're right you can be a pilot at any time you can be a writer at any time yeah and I still feel like that I still have so many goals like right now I'm kind of stuck in my situation because now I'm a single parent so my kid's uh, twelve so. When he gets a bit older, I feel I can pursue my dreams more where he doesn't need me as around as much. Sure, yeah, of course. But as far as the wrestling, so there was no wrestling schools out in BC at the time. And so I, I didn't have internet. My friend had internet. So I just, like, whatever like Google was, web crawler back then or something. Uh, he Googled wrestling schools and I got a bunch of them. And that's when 2000, Shawn Michaels had a school. Oh, yeah. Terry Funk had a school. So I phoned them, and I also phoned the Hart Brothers School, because, like, you know, like, those are, like, the three famous places you want to train. No kidding. And so my mom kind of talked me into the one in Canada, because she's like, that way you can work, um, it's easier, it's like, 
be be closer. And then so I phoned the Hart brothers, so excited. But then I found out it wasn't the real dungeon. It wasn't the Hart brothers. It was the one in Cambridge. Yeah, which had Smith involved. So. And people did come through there and stuff like that, but and then they said they had a live-in dormitory. So me, <clears throat> never been away from this little island, thought that was great. I had a place to stay where the other ones I'd have to get an apartment. And the guy said he had a job lined up for me, so like that was music to my ears. So I uh, graduated grade twelve, and about a month after that, I had my ticket booked because I worked. Uh, like I had a a job ever since I was like 15 I was the janitor of a grocery store oh nice so I had a bunch of money saved up not enough my mom was very supportive lent me the rest of the money and I said I'd pay her back and off I went that is like the I don't mean this in a, a bad way but the like stereotypical fairy tale like I want to be a pro wrestler follow my dreams moved across the country to start training it blows my mind I had no idea about this it was scary but I also felt like I don't know, like, that's what you, like, a lot of people go and they go away to college, right? So it's like, that's your college, that's your becoming a man experience. So that's a good go one. off and do it on my own. And Yeah, that's, and that's... It was also a lot of people like you were saying, like, they were like, oh, you can never be a wrestler. You're too, I was really skinny. I'm about 5'11", mm-hmm. so I was okay in height, I guess, somewhat, but I was, like, only, like, 110 pounds. I oh, was, yeah. like, like, no body, uh, body fat or anything on me. I was... Because I played a lot of sports too. I was an athlete. Like I played baseball at a high level and hockey and everything. I played everything. But uh, so a lot of people told me I couldn't do it. So that motivated me even more. Just to like I wanted to rub it in their face so bad. I remember <laughs> I can't remember what grade, but it was in high like eleven or twelve. And they make you meet with the counselor and he helps you get a resume and decide what you're gonna do. And I told him I was gonna be a wrestler and he kind of like laughed at me like, okay, well, what do you, would you have any backup plans? Blah blah blah. And now he. When he teaches, he says, I'll never doubt anyone again because, and he'll say my name, like, he proved me wrong. He did become a wrestler. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I know. Well, I was friends with his kid, too, so, like, it wasn't, like, just some mean old counselor, but he was just trying to do his job. But we were friendly as well, and yeah. he played on the same, his kid played on my ball team or whatever. So how old were you, about 16, 17, when you moved literally across the country? I was 18. My 18. birthday's in April, so I, I graduated when I was 18. That's crazy. And... Did Eddie uh, come with you, or was he after? He's a year younger, so he came the next year. Okay, okay. We stayed in contact on, like, MSN West Messenger or whatever, and, like, I didn't even know that he had planned to do it, but I guess when I, like, we all were really into the backyard wrestling. Like, that was our passion. That's all we cared about so much. So we were all loving wrestling at that point, and then I kept in touch with him, and then he made it be known, like, hey, is it worth it? Like, should I, should I come here? Like, I really want to do this. And I guess because I proved I could do it, um, he thought that he could as well. And I was so happy to have someone that knew me there mm-hmm. because a lot of the guys were older. I was the first student allowed there under 20. Oh, no shit, eh? And they were all like, um, most of them were Americans. So it was like, they didn't work because they didn't, like a couple of them ended up getting bouncing jobs under the table or whatever. But they were like, all the guys were 25 and older. And I was this 18 year old punk kid looked like a punk <laughs> did and i was quiet and shy so that made me become across as even more of a punk but then i was also kind of like cocky and confident in the wrestling sure of course because i thought i knew everything already even though i didn't because i i'd been bumping in the backyard on 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 the grass so yep. like the ring was nothing to me what was uh what was your backyard wrestling name mayhem 
Mayhem, classic, classic backyard yeah, wrestling. Mayhem. I, I still have some old tapes on one of those, like I don't know if it's eight millimeter or something, but it's like you put the tape into the VHS tape and it pulls it out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We used them like right when we started backyard wrestling too. Then our one buddy got a better camera. Yeah, it was awesome. We got kicked into my friend's yard, and then I had to convince my mom to let us do it in our yard. <laughs> and then she started getting hot because we. We'd bang these little wooden posts into the ground and then put, like, actual rope around just to make, a, like, an actual ring. <laughs> and then we had the trampoline, so that was, like, the top rope. Like, you jump off the trampoline. Oh, classic. The nice. The best. And then the roof started getting involved. I had, like, this one low roof and then a really high roof, and then that's when ECW was out. So then <laughs> I convinced my... I remember, like, my mom would get... I don't know how I convinced her. I was very convincing, but she took me to this guy that sold barbed wire out of his garage and let me <laughs> buy the barbed wire and she drove me there like and like you know thumbtacks we didn't really do anything that crazy but we wanted to try everything at least once yeah but of course that's hilarious there was a couple incidents though like uh, hospital ones and stuff like that oh really so there was a few injuries oh yeah i i hit this one guy with a shovel like an actual just metal <laughs> shovel and i didn't know to hit him on the flat part so you know what the the base where the wood of the shovel meets the metal it's like a little curl on it yep i hit him with that <laughs> and then we had to like keep it away from our parents basically like we didn't want to go to the hospital that kind of stuff but <laughs> just boys being boys i yeah, guess of course i think it's healthy for kids to do that to an extent of course we're gonna toe the line but i think like my backyard wrestling days i look back and yeah, a lot of it's embarrassing and stuff but man it was truly some of my favorite times i've ever had well, that's when I became a personality because, or not, a, that's when I developed a personality because wrestling wasn't cool. It started getting cool around that time because Stone Cold and NWO had come out around 98 and that, that era, but none of my other friends liked it. So when I found a group of misfits that liked it like me, then we were like able to really be ourselves because we all like had that same love, that same passion. And people that like wrestling, it's a different breed. You don't like it. You love it. You like live for it. Yeah, I honestly think there's you have to be like a little bit not normal. I don't know what I wouldn't want to be normal anyway, but you have to be like a little bit off to really love it to see it. Like, because my dad was always saying it's not a real sport; it's fake. And it's like, yeah, but it's more than that. It's one; it's just as dangerous as real sports. Yeah, but it's also like like a bit of showmanship and stuff like that. But it's it really. I don't know. I don't think there's anything easy or anything harder in the world than doing wrestling well. At least. No, I'm I... sure there is, like doing brain surgery on some guy if you're a doctor. But I just mean as far as it's so many different little intricacies. I don't know if I said that right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many little details that you have to pull off, and you get one shot at it, one take. That's it. You got one. It's a live action stunt show in front of an audience that you've never practiced in front of, and yeah, it's. It's sport, it's theater, it's fucking a magic show, it's a stunt show, it's a rock show, it's everything mixed together. It's like the best parts of everything, and uh, all rolled together and just called pro wrestling. Because sometimes it's not even about the wrestling, it's about everything else. But again, it's it's all kind of all-encompassing. Yeah, and I grew up in the 80s, so everyone had a gimmick. And they, like, you know, Jake the Snake, Hoggy Talk Man, all those guys. And then I loved all sports, but I was never good enough. Like, I was never fast enough or strong enough to make it out of any of those sports where this i was like if i have heart i have a chance yes good that's a great way of putting it i look back uh in school too because i was always very athletic but i wasn't competitive ever and uh 
so like if we'd play fucking every day we'd play floor hockey or uh flag football at recess every fucking day for like 10 years we played that and i never really cared like i played but my interest in it would kind of dwindle by third recess you know first first recess i'd be into it by lunch recess i'm into it and then third i'm just like ah whatever i'm kind of bored of it and i think after years of kind of thinking about it like why wasn't i competitive with it it's because i was always so focused on wrestling and in wrestling i always knew it was fake so it wasn't really a competitive sport so like i just never had that in me i'll get competitive about weird little things but it's usually not about athletic competitions like, if, if we're both on a show in different matches and you go, I'm going to have match of the night, now I'm competitive to top your match. But if we're fucking bowling or something and you're like, I'm going to get a better score than you, I'll be like, yeah, you probably fucking will because I don't give a shit. And I think it all, all comes back to just uh, the competitiveness in wrestling is different because you're not just trying to, like, it's not about wins and losses. It's just about, uh, well, it, it is an art, so it's all subjective. You could think you had the worst match, but there could be fans out there that said your your match was my favorite. So it's this very weird thing you have to wrap your head around. But, yeah, I think it, and also it's different with team sports and single sports, where it's like, that can turn you off if you have guys on your team that are dicks and only care about winning and they're kind of jerks about it, then it turns you off of that. To I this, remember in hockey, like, it's it's like rec league hockey league where you just pay to play like it's just the normal house league or whatever they call it and the coach was like what are we here for and i'm like i'm just here to have fun and he benched me my (laughs) dad got all hot he's like no you can't bench someone there like be paid to play like he was all mad because he wanted to win so bad and it's like dude it's just house league like yeah and i got heat for saying that i was just there to have fun which i mean i want to win too like i'd didn't care if we lost but it i'll take the win too right but i'm always there to have fun like if 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 you end up winning awesome but yeah i'm big on that too and to this day uh, my one buddy's competitive in everything and if we're ever playing fucking some dumb board game doesn't matter what it is and i'm on his time and i'm on his team and i can feel his competitive competitiveness come out i will purposely ruin the game not ruin the game but make us lose because i love seeing how blood red maddie gets just because i don't understand that like that that need to win at everything like that and i guess that might be a character flaw on my uh on my part who knows but at the end it's just like if this is a funny story to tell later on if we're having fun in the meantime that's all that matters to me yeah I mean, you're obviously, like, on that level, but, I mean, a lot of the most successful people in the world are those competitive ones that will crush anybody to get on top, and a lot of times they're very successful, but, like, I wouldn't want to be successful based on that. You know, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror, and I did it the right way, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Dude, you are, you have said so much in this short interview already that I completely, completely agree with you with. There's just different ways of going about things, and I seem to be on the other side of a lot of things, but whatever. Um, but who cares? Like, people ask, oh, like, do you have a house? Do you have a car? Are you married? Are you happy? Like, that's the main thing. Are that's you happy? it. You're not? If not, you change it and try to be happy. Like, that. to me, that's the ultimate goal. That's it. Like, if we could die tomorrow, why was I miserable for five years doing something? Yeah. I don't know. That's how I, I always focus on, uh, I don't want to chase money. I want to chase happiness because if you die happy, the money doesn't matter. But if you could die rich and unhappy, and then you're really gonna kind of kick yourself, you know? Yeah, that like, especially before, like when I wrestled, like how you kind of put me over the beginning. 
I honestly did not care if I died. Like, that was my mentality. I don't even care. Like, I wasn't going to do, like, I never did any, like, weapons match, really. I did a couple ladder matches and stuff, but I'm like, I, I was just doing what I love. So if I died in the ring, I was happy with that, right? Like, when did that start with you? Like, when did you kind of, when did it go off in your head that you said, like, I'm going to take these crazy bumps. That's going to be my thing. Or did it uh, even? In backyard wrestling, we all kept trying to one-up each other, and I thought I was the man, and I was ready to do whatever it took to prove it. And I, I got egged on. It made me feel like someone, finally. Sure. Like, me and my friend would start doing stunts at school, because like I said, I was in a TV media class, so I'd like take bumps over down the stairs and like that kind of stuff, because I started getting attention from it. Yeah. And I never had attention before. And like I was this really skinny kid, so I was never considered tough and like... I didn't ever get bullied because I was mo- most popular. Like, I was friends with most of the popular kids. I wasn't really popular myself, but like, I played all the sports, so I kind of knew everybody. And you know, I had decent enough clothes, I guess, so I fit in. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time I felt like I don't know, like, pride in myself, I guess. Do you remember? So like- yeah, I, I did all those crazy bumps, and then when it came to real wrestling, I was just like, I just you know, like I loved mankind. And- yeah and some of the ECW guys, and that's what I like. So nowadays I wrestle more for the fans, but back then I would wrestle for myself. I'd do what I wanted to see in a match. I would do it. Uh, This is literally surreal how many things you're saying that I've either previously said or think consistently. I always say I wrestle for myself. If the fans like it, that's a bonus, but I wrestle the matches I would like to see. And by proxy... Uh, luckily there's some fans out there that like to see it, but do you remember the first, it was the opposite for me, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) Do you remember the first like bump or stunt you did, which really got people's attention that really kind of was like, Oh, I like this. I like what this does. As far as like indie shows and fans, let's go. Yeah. Let's go indie shows then. Uh, I, I honestly, no one cared until like. Until some of the young wrestlers like you guys started coming around to the shows and sometimes you get booked, sometimes you wouldn't. Those guys were the first to ever put me over, like the young up-and-comers that really? I've been doing it five years. Yeah, no one cared. Oh. All, all the vet, all the veterans hated me. Like, Not hated me, like they liked me personally. Like Guys like Geza, he always took me under his wing, but he's like, why are you doing that stupid shit, man? You're not going to wrestle for the very long way. And I'd explain to him, I just want to be remembered. I want people to respect me. Like, that guy is not fake. Everybody else is fake, but that guy really got hurt. Yeah. Like, that was to me. And he was like, I just, he just didn't understand it. And maybe I didn't have a good way of explaining it either. But he's like, and no one cared. No, like, they all, they'd, nobody uh, hated working with me because I would make them look good with all their moves. Like right? a million bucks. So, but no one, I never got praise. Jeez. No one, thought anything of it until like I, I remember people like would start to come around some of the young up-and-comer guys when we were in Brantford and doing all the weekly shows and then on to Elements those were the first time I ever really heard praise oh, well I remember um we did a Jay's Place show on a Sunday probably 05 or 06 and I can't remember if it was a four-way match or a six-way and I oh, think yeah I remember that's on YouTube now is it really yeah, the one with you, that was the first time I wrestled you. Yes. Page and uh, I think it was uh, Del Bruno was uh, Alex York at that point, And it was like, 
Bucktan and like Sean Ball too. Or that something. was it. Because I remember we're like we get told about this match and we're all fucking excited, and you come up and you said, "I want to take a move on the floor from everybody in this match," and we were just yeah. like, "What?" I remember Ethan Page just uh, gorilla pressed me on the floor. Yeah. Because I wanted, like, that was always my thing, too. When I put together matches, because when I started, it was like, you were lucky, you got told what to do, right? It yes. was like the big guy would beat you up and he'd let you have a roll up or a drop kick. So then when it came time that I ever had to chime in, I always had in mind what moves I wanted to take, but I never knew what moves I was going to do. So I just. I was all about that. I, everybody wants to get their shit in. My shit that I wanted to get in was taking offense. <laughs> well, that's really like the best way to become everybody's favorite person to work. If your focus is solely like, I want to take your shit better than anybody else, nobody will ever complain about having to work you. <laughs> Excuse me, I apologize. I remember um, in that match, we're all like throwing out our ideas what to bump you with on the ground. I'm like, it's just concrete floor, and I, I didn't have anything, and I don't know if it was you or Paige, but you said, one of you guys said, like, can you do a sunset flip? And I said, yeah. And there was like, can you do the sunset flip while I'm on the apron, and I'll just take the bump on the ground. And I was just like, I would never even fucking wonder if you'd take that bump. And I think it was you, who, and you were like, yeah, I'll take that, no problem. I was just like, fuck, if you're willing to take it, I'm willing to have this on my highlight reel, like... I'll never do it again. So because it's uh, on that tape, they just have the hard cam, so it misses the bump. But you can see us on the apron, and we go into it awkwardly. Like I, I think like you didn't know where to put your feet, and I like when you hit me in the gut, so I went down. I didn't go down the right way. <laughs> but then they had all those tables around the outside. Oh and yes, my head smoked off the edge of it. Oh, because geez. you can see on the. The video joe dog like leaves the commentary position and goes and checks on me and the match basically stops for 30 seconds and then i probably said like what do you guys do and keep going <laughs> and then everybody just goes in and continues doing their spots for a show at jay's place in front of probably literally chant monkey chris <laughs> yeah, and two like others people yeah <laughs> um going back to your first day training i'm just curious like you show up in cambridge walk me through what your first day is It was shocking because the guy that owned the school, like I was already going to come no matter what. Mm -hmm. He already had my money, but he like went overboard with, it's on a resort on the lake, uh, we have a <laughs> nutritionist and a chiropractor, all this stuff. And then the the guy, I flew into Toronto airport and mm -hmm. one of the, one of the other students picked me up there and he was holding a sign like. Um, they had a promotion at the time too called ACW, All Canadian Wrestling. So he was holding the ACW sign, and I felt like on top of the world. Oh, I could Getting imagine. Out of the airport, like guys got the sign for you, waiting for you, and then so we drive. It's like an hour to Cambridge, and he stops in front of this bank. And it's like this Scotia Bank, and he's like, "We're here." And I'm like, "What? What do you mean?" <laughs> the wrestling school was in these apartments above the bank. <laughs> So I'm like, what the hell? Like, are you like, you're just ribbing me or whatever? Like, and sure enough. And then, okay, like, I I don't want to go. I could go for hours. But the guy that ran the wrestling school, he's like such a character. He's like over the top. Like, you remember the guy on Beyond the Mat, like Roland or something? Of course. He's like him times 10. He's <laughs> like the biggest liar, uh, like 
chain smokes four packs of smokes a day, does morphine patches, and has like 18 credit cards. Like, he's just like, whatever. So I just, it, and there was a couple other people there, so I introduced myself, but it was late at night, so I, and it was a Saturday, so I didn't get to go train until Monday. The training was Monday to Friday. But I just, like, I slept in the, the ring the first night. I just went in the ring, and I wasn't allowed to do anything because I wasn't trained, but I just, like, just being in a real ring was amazing. For sure, yeah. But the training was hard. Like, uh, they, it was legit training. It was, like, we would have to run stairs, and there was, like, this park that was, like, two kilometers down, so we'd run to there and back, and then for the first, like, hour, we would just do, like, shoot fighting, like, submission, no punching or kicking, but yep. just, like, trying to tap each other out, and the smallest guy would start against the other smallest guy. So I was just getting my ass beat, but I would never give up. But I was, it, it made me tougher. It made me a lot tougher. So I was glad with that. And then like the first two weeks, I wasn't even allowed in the ring. I was only allowed to practice tie up. So at least it was like a really good old school yes. training. And then like one week you would learn just a hammer lock, but you do it like a thousand times. Right. Like I remember getting in trouble from, there was this guy, Juan Ortiz. I don't know. You might've crossed paths. Oh yeah. Point. Yeah. But he was like, he was like a major amateur wrestler, so he was like, that was his part of the stuff, like the shoot fighting and stuff. And this is about a month into training, and we're allowed to bounce off the ropes and do an elbow drop. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was my time. Like, I'd been waiting, I'd been waiting, I'd been waiting. So I jumped <laughs> up and did a jumping elbow drop, and I everybody got hot at me. He got into my face, and I got into his face, and I cried because I was so mad, and then I stormed off, and... Then after that, I just learned to not be a fucking putz kind of thing. (laughs) Do do what's expected of you, you know, you can do that stuff later. So the training was really good. Like chain wrestling, I used to be the king of chain wrestling, now I forgot it all. (laughs) Was there... The training was really good. It was hard, though, because they were all way bigger than me. Yes, yeah. Like, it was scary. Like, there's this 300-pound guy there, and they're like, okay, you're going to slam everybody here today. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to paralyze this guy. Like, I was wimpy. I had no strength to me whatsoever. But sure enough, I, like, slammed everybody. Maybe, like, kind of like the Lex Luger Yoko slam, but still. Doesn't matter. That's when you really start to learn the magic of pro wrestling, where it's like, oh, we really are working with each other. And, like, the timing and the pacing and everything, it really comes together. Like, a body slam is the perfect move to learn, because legitimately, if you do it properly... Almost any size guy can give it to any size guy, and it blows your mind. Yeah, man. And I was lucky, because I got to do my first match, like, two and a half months after, like, in October. Oh, wow. I moved there in, like, uh, I guess would be school ends in June, so I went the next month. So I moved, like, August 1st or something. Holy. And then they did a show in, uh, like, the Steelworkers Hall of Cambridge, and I got to wrestle this Don Coyote guy who's only did a couple matches, and then he left. Was and the... uh, we had to practice that match for like two weeks yeah. for the trainers, <laughs> like legit, honestly, like every move, and they had to like critique it, and every single move planned and practiced. Was it any good looking back? For a first match, it's it's decent, pretty I good. Like I put it on YouTube, so if it was horrible, I wouldn't have. <laughs> but like you know that vest I used to come out with, yes, they made me wrestle with it on because I was so skinny, so it looked kind of stupid. Oh yeah. I mean, it kind of looks stupid now, too, but at least I take it off. But it was decent, and, like, I was supposed to be the heel because I was the, the Cuban. mean Cuban, but I looked like I was, like, 13, so I was <laughs> getting cheered because I was bumping my ass off for the guy. Like, I took the 
the thing that Triple H takes where he just hooks his arm in the corner of the ropes and goes out. Oh yeah, classic move. And then I took like a stunner on the on the middle rope, like I went up to go to the top rope and he grabbed me like the Ric Flair thing, like he was just gonna beal me off. Oh yeah. But then he grabbed me and like stunnered me onto the middle onto the the middle of the ropes and then I took like a freaking crazy bump on the outside. So <laughs> I won the fans over and then I won by cheating and they cheered me. <laughs> well that's what it is. It looked like child abuse. They were giving you some sympathy. Yeah, and he wasn't that big of a guy either, but he was bigger than me. Was there anybody in that initial class that, like, we'd know of? Uh, my first match, the ref was the Highlander guy, because he had just started training, so he hadn't been, uh, he couldn't do a match yet, uh, Robbie, Robbie McAllister. Oh, right on. He was the ref of my first match, and there was a guy that, he was in PWA a little bit here and there, um, Lars Phoenix, and he was on that, that was his first show as well, and, um. Jesse Jones was the ring announcer. Okay. Got there about a month after me, but he he didn't do anything but ring announce on that show. Okay, so you got so you and Jesse are roughly the same class and whatnot. Pretty much, yeah. He came a month after me. Oh, Gaza, Gaza, and Sid Summers was the main event. Okay, okay. So, because yeah, were you scared shitless of Gaza at this time because he's somewhat fresh off of his UFC run? Well, I was very intimidated. Like the other guys worked me up to be really scared of him. But by this time, he had basically took me under his wing because he would come in before practice and he just wanted to, like, use the ring a bit. And I was always there. And, mm. like, he would just want to try moves on me. And yeah. He'd be like, hey, kid, do you want to get in here? And I was, yes, sir, willing to do everything. And he was really – so by that time, I was on his good side. But at first, before I even had met him, the guys had got me scared of him. Oh, it was just, like, he is a sweetheart of a man. But just knowing – that he was in, like, the first, like, UFC 3 and 4 or whatever, and just knowing that this guy on a dime can just kill me at any moment was terrifying. But if I didn't know that, I would have just thought he was the nicest fucking guy ever. Like, he's a guy I'd really like to reach out to and uh, kind of uh, just keep in a little better contact because he is just the sweetest fucking dude. I was supposed to write his autobiography, but we just we never make it work. Because I, I said I'd love to write his autobiography and call it like fighting for my life or something oh, be great. and he had those heart problems and he, to me he should be like in some kind of canada hall of fame or something i i 100 agree and if not in that hall of fame he should be in the instagram hall of fame for the traveling toilet because it's the funniest fucking thing i in, can't believe that didn't go more viral to be honest i don't get it it's so funny all those things are what usually get really popular for those that don't know what we're talking about, Gaza Coleman Jr., UFC UFC alumni. I don't know if he travels with a toilet or he just finds them, but he'll take them everywhere. And I believe that's just the same one every time. I believe he <laughs> takes it with him. And he just wherever, like it'll be like in the in the parking lot of a courthouse, and he'll just put it in the middle of the parking lot and just pop a squat and take a picture. It's so funny. He's, like, I get embarrassed so easily, too. Like, I was always so shy, and I didn't want any attention brought to me. And then here's this guy, like, in front of town hall and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> he's, that's ridiculous. He, he is, like, he's another guy, like, I guess as generations go, past generations just kind of, as sad as it says, they just get forgotten about. And, uh, like, he's a guy I would love for more people to know of. Just, he was such a... I'm, I'm talking like he's not with us anymore. He's just such a fucking know, pleasure to have. He doesn't. He never goes out seeking attention or spotlight. Like he was on off the record like two or three times. Like I didn't know that. Really, like, eh? 
Yeah, I think one of them still on YouTube. I got. But he was on for sure two times. Yeah, he's a good. And uh, I just remember um, back in like I don't know when it was when when uh, PWA started running Branford and Jesse Jones lived there. He had like a weekly interview show, like Sports Center or Sports Corner or something, where he would just interview people. Mm-hmm. But the one on Giza was awesome because he had footage of all like his UFC fights and some of the Brazil ones where they just did it like in a boxing ring and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Like every time they went to commercial, he would put like a little clip there of Gaze's personal collection that he bring him. That's sweet. And it's worth watching just for that. Like just to see like he fought this one guy and like his story, like he trained with the Malenkos for wrestling yeah. and then Dan Severn trained him for, for basically said, Hey, I'm going to make you a UFC fighter. You got hurt, blah, blah, blah. And that was his mentor, Dan Severn. Because Dan Severn came up to the school in Cambridge because he had so much respect for Geza. Oh, wow, really, eh? Yeah, I got to shake his hand. That was pretty much it. I just said, hey, nice to meet you, sir, but it's pretty cool. That's okay. When did um, when did you meet up with Eddie again? It would be a year later, but did he come to that school when you were still hanging out there or training? or? Oh, yeah, I lived at the school for, like, well about four years but i moved out with a couple of the other wrestlers for a bit but then one of them got married and one of them moved in with their girlfriend so then i moved back to the school mm. but um i went home and visited my mom bought me a ticket to go home for christmas to visit because she missed me or whatever and so uh, they, they, we all hung out then and then he had made it known that he was going to come too and then we lived in a room in the wrestling school at first for like the first year and then me, him, and Spears and Foxy got our own place, and we moved out of the school. Oh wow, you guys had a house to yourself, eh? Yeah, yeah, like we, because you know, like it wasn't an ideal living situation. No, the yeah. guy that owned the schools on morphine patches up till three a.m. and like <laughs> I have a job to go to at six a.m. and he's waking me up to change a light bulb when there's like twelve <laughs> people there that don't even have jobs, like. And you know, you just needed your freedom. Like I had gotten a girlfriend by then. Spears had a girlfriend, and then. uh those two were dating so it was just we needed our own place sure it makes sense and we just the the wrestling school was pretty hectic and there's a lot of stuff that going on and we only needed it for the wrestling so yeah did you go back to bc and wrestle at all uh once just once yeah just once uh eddie got us booked somehow and uh there was this guy i don't know if you remember him ice yeah 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 he, yeah, he did a promotion there or something, and he was cool with us, and he came out and wrestled with us, and he got us booked there. And then we got in, in major heat for that match. I wrestled Eddie Osborne, and we did it. It was the only time some of my family members had ever seen me wrestle, and all those guys that were our backyard wrestlers were there. <laughs> so we did, like, everything we could possibly do, right, to steal the show. And we got in so much heat for it, but we were just wrestling for those group of people. Like, yeah. And- but- I don't regret doing it. Is that the match that uh, I saw? I think it was posted not long ago, but you do like it's the backflip out of the ring into the DDT to the outside? Oh, no, no. That one's. I never got film of that match. That one's against the Highlander, the other Highlander, Rory. Oh, is it? Um, what happened was, like I said, uh, I had the vest and he made me wear it because I was too small. And the, the promoter guy said after my first match that he was embarrassed of me i should never be in the ring again because i just look so embarrassing so they made me do a mask gimmick <laughs> which I, I was against it looking back i should have rolled with the mask gimmick but and that was a move i always practiced because when there was no one in the ring i would always practice getting clotheslined over the top so i could just do it without even someone hitting me 
And then I was like, why don't I just, the way I'm landing, I could just DDT someone. So I'd always practice that. And then it's fucking, that was like my fourth match, though. So, oh, my. Um, you hit it so perfectly in that clip, too. Like, so perfectly. Which was weird, too, because the wrestling school was a low boy, and then that was one of the old stampede rings. Our show ring was a stampede ring. Okay. And it was like a foot higher, and I'd never done it in there, but I just nailed it. You nailed it. Like, it looks so great. I tried it on Joey Allen like a year or two ago, and I just, I didn't do it as good. <laughs> what about, um, this was brought up not long ago. I don't know how long it was, but the music video online makes it seem like it lasted for months and months and months, when in reality it could have been like two weeks. But your feud with Jesse Jones and PWA, and that music video that still lives online, it's the, the U2 song, uh, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's a U2 I song. I think it's like U2 or something. Elevation or that's, something. That's it. Jesse did the whole video. Like, I have watched that, I'm not lying, into the triple digits. That's only two matches. Is that all it is? That's from the same weekend. Because... Um, on Friday, we wrestled the Havana Street Fight in Cambridge. And Saturday, um, I teamed with Canyon in Newmarket for Ruffy's promotion against Sin and Cutthroat. And Jeez. then Sunday, we had The Last Blood in Brantford. We had a bunch of other matches. But that music video is just from those two on Friday and Sunday. Because PWA at this time used to run, what was it, every Thursday and every Sunday among... Oh, yeah, it might have been Thursday in Cambridge. I could be wrong. But, yes. like... It was it was the same, like, three or four days. And so just knowing, though, because I was just going by what buildings you were in, I, I was, like, just thinking, like, this could have happened... Because you always wear the same gear. Jesse always goes through spurts of wearing the same gear. So it was like, I don't know how many shows this is happening for. So if that was only two shows, you guys fit a fucking ton of shit in those two matches. And you took some crazy bumps. Oh, thank you, man. Well, what happened? I, I'm taking it as a compliment. Um, oh, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah, but I mean, some people are like, well, that like depends on what kind of wrestling you like. Like, okay, you took some crazy bumps. Doesn't mean it was a good match. But I'm taking it as it was awesome because of that. And um, what happened was around this time, like when PWA started, I'd been wrestling like five, six years, and some of these guys, I got to plan the whole match. Yeah, that was a game changer for me because before I knew what moves I wanted to take, but then it'd be like, I could like with Jesse, uh, Eddie, Eddie always was nice to me and let me plan the whole match. And a couple of the other guys, there was a couple, like some young guys like Tom Ryder and stuff like that sure. where I could, I, I would ask what moves they wanted to do, but I would like put them together and sequence them and stuff. And Jesse was never known for being an athlete, but he really, he hung with me, man. He, he was doing everything I asked of him and, so I had the match memorized and everything I wanted to do, and it was just like, I don't know, it's just like, I don't know if you're being an artist, but then getting, like, if you're a musician and you get, like, the perfect beat or something, I don't know. But it was just, those are my favorite matches, the ones that I know that I put all of them together. No, they're great. Like, I love, to this day, I've always said I'm going to steal it, but, uh, like, an opportunity hasn't come up that works as good is when uh, Jesse comes out first and he's wearing his and he's got his giant staff and then you come oh, yeah. out wearing your title belt around your waist and you lift your arms up and he's hiding behind the curtain he baseball swings the staff it hits the belt and then the vibration hurts his hands and it's like the perfect mix of cartoony but pro wrestling believable it's like a shower curtain rod or something yeah. like that. But yeah but like I, I'm pretty sure that was Jesse's idea and, like, he always was about the story, and he wanted to do the promos and have, like, 
and the finish and where was it going from there. So I didn't care what I was told to do as long as I could do whatever moves I wanted. Yeah. But yeah, I like that spot too. But I'm pretty sure Jesse, I got to give him credit. I'm pretty sure Jesse came up with that one. But like, so I'm obviously, like, I'm assuming you pitched the let's stand on the stairs and I'll take a hip toss in which I won't sandbag. I'll get more height than I ever have and then fall on the concrete. Oh, yeah, that was my, I wanted to do that for a long time. But he did it perfectly. Like, he even, like, extended his arm up with me and because I was adamant about it. I'm like, make sure you get me as high as you can, right? Like, uh, well, like that was important to me. Like, it's not like I just a crappy little deal. Like, if you're going to do it, then do it. Otherwise, don't do it. Like, that's always been my thing in wrestling. If you're going to do it, then do it all the way. Otherwise, just don't do it. I agree. Well, this is the dumbest question, especially coming from somebody who wrestles. But, like, do you, does the concrete not hurt you as much as most? <laughs> like, do you have a, do you have a special way of landing? Because you've taken so much shit, but your body literally looks like it absorbs the bump better. And I'm not taking away uh, those bumps from you. I'm just saying, like, if I was to take one of those bumps, I'd still be laying there. I guess there's a couple different ways I could approach that. And when I was training, my main trainer was Sid Summers, and he always said that I bumped a little bit awkwardly on my side more than most. Mm-hmm. But it worked for me because, one, I wasn't a huge guy, but I, I made it look good, but I still like was able to um, kind of get most of my body taking the fall evenly somehow, sure. or, if that makes sense, right? But um, I knocked my wind out of me a couple of times but as long as the adrenaline was going then i just it was weird like i didn't want to sell it like i would sell it if i had to but i'm like not you know i'm selling it more than it actually hurt at the time for most of them and then it would always be on stupid little things where i'd actually get hurt like i had my i couldn't wrestle for like five months on i somebody like rolled me up from behind and my knee just popped out the other way like it was i got really lucky kind of it's on looking back on a lot of the risks i did take but my main thing is concussions. I remember one time, I don't know the details, because I wrestled Rip Impact like probably six or seven times, but there was one time where I was wrestling him at Branford at Jay's place, and he just did like a crossbody from like the second rope outside to the floor, Yep. and I smashed my head, and I remember you being there, and like, dude, are you okay? Because I see you rock your head. And I was like, no, I'm fine. But I had like 20 of those occasions, and I'm just glad... That hasn't caught up to me yet, because I'm sure it will at some point. Has any of the bumps caught up to you? I'm in a lot of pain. (laughs) Yeah? But, uh, yeah, and I'm awkward, too, like, but I, I'm trying not to go too into detail, but before I even wrestled, I went to the Children's Hospital in Portland, Oregon. It was, like, the Shriners Children's Hospital. Okay. Because I'm a hunchback, and I had, I was born with, like, a crooked spine. No kidding. Yeah, and my toes... Like, they turn in, like, my toes turn in. Yep. So whenever I would get shoes, I'd have to get, like, these special-made lifts in them from the physiotherapist. And I'd have to go to the physiotherapist and do stretches because uh, my hamstrings are too short for my legs. Like, no I could never touch my toes or any of that kind of stuff. Or, you know, when you just get on the floor and you try and reach and touch your toes like that? Yeah. I could never do it. So, like, even though I wasn't, like, fat or anything, I was, like, the slowest runner in baseball and the slowest skater in hockey but I was already in pain wow. um, with my with my back, nothing else. Yeah. Um, I, I started going to the chiropractor when I was 14, and they I feel they screwed my neck up because I never had – I only had lower back pain at that time. 
but I was already in pain. So then like, I think that was just like, you're already in pain. So you might as well do wrestling. It wasn't like I had this clean, perfect body to me. That was how I convinced myself. I was in the, I was already in pain. So what, what does it matter if I add more to it? But yeah, some days are pretty rough. Um, but I feel like even without wrestling, it probably would have been because I stopped doing all that stuff. All yes. that stuff, I stopped going to the hospital because I just got into wrestling. And I was just like, well, what's the point? I'm just going to break my back anyway. So what does it matter? That's... I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, like it. It, that, that gave me way more than I was expecting, to be honest. That's kind of the fun of the pod. Yeah. Like, do you still have... Like, I've seen you. You don't look like you have a hunchback, but do you still suffer from those same things or was it fixed then but now you're just kind of dealing with the effects later on because of uh whatever was fixed if that makes any sense i don't know i don't know yeah i i don't know like because i mean if i didn't wrestle i wouldn't i then i'd maybe still be in pain maybe i wouldn't i don't know um my neck is really bad Mm because like even just I always pride myself that if someone's going to close on me, I'm going to make it look like they killed me. Yep. Like, just a close on. Because sometimes that's all I would get when I was wrestling these big guys. Like, they would just punch and kick you, and then you'd get a big clothesline and then eat their finisher. That That's all it was. So I'm like, I'm going to make that clothesline. Um, my elbows are really bad because I screwed up a lot of times and smashed my elbows and my knees because I never wore knee pads what? Uh, yeah. I was going to give you pads. shit because I know you don't really wear elbow pads. Never. I didn't know you didn't wear knee pads. Well, I used to wear an elbow pad, but it would always slip down. So I just said, fuck it. <laughs> I could have bought one that fit, I guess. But but yeah, so like, but some days are better than others, too. I guess it depends on the weather. But I'm very active. Like, I don't even drive. That's why we didn't do the podcast in person, right? Yeah. So I walk everywhere. Like, me and the kid go get groceries. We're, we're carrying eight bags of groceries back home for 20 minutes and back and forth. And I walk to work and walk back. And I, I used to have an exercise bike, but it broke. But I try and do, like, a little bit of sit-ups and push-ups of my own, like, version of yoga. I try and stretch and stuff. So I feel like if I wasn't active, it'd be a lot worse. I, I'm a big believer in that. I always say uh, motion is the lotion. Like, I look at the body like we're all Tin Man, and we're all Tin Man sitting out in the rain. And if we're not moving, those joints are going to stiffen up very fast. So as long as I, like, keep things in motion all the time, I have this thought in my head that, like, they might be sore, but I'll be able to keep it going. Because I always look at old people, and uh, I know this might be unfair to them, but there comes a point when, say, uh, say an old guy golfs all the time. And then one year, he doesn't want to golf anymore. He just doesn't feel like it. You know, he's just, it, it takes a little too much out of him. You're never going to golf again. You, you don't take oh, it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't take a year or two off when in your 70s from doing something and then jump back in. You almost have to keep that momentum because once you stop, that's fucking it. So I'm a big believer in anything. Just get that body moving. And that doesn't always mean running marathons and, like, going hard in the gym. But just keeping the joints moving... I think means a lot for longevity. Yeah, I just walking and rollerblading do a ton for me, and then I try and do other stuff just to get some of the other body. Like I don't lift weights; I hate lifting weights. So when I was with uh, like Spears and the Highlanders, they were all into that. I was, you know, trying to be buddy buddies with them, and so I would lift weights with them, but I always hated it. <laughs> and like, and my metabolism is so fast. So if I eat three meals, I shit six times. Like, so I could never put weight on. Until now, I got a bit of a beer belly, I guess, because 
I'm 38 now. Yeah, age will do that. Yeah, so... You had a match. Yeah, if, he, if I stop being active, then I can feel it after, like, two or three days. <laughs> I'm like, oh my, this is going to go downhill quick if I don't get back into it. You had a match with Spears years ago that I think was voted match of the year. Yeah, that was the Cambridge one. Well, we wrestled twice. Well, we wrestled, like, I have a whole bunch of matches of us in the wrestling school practice matches that we would we would do fake shows every Sunday <laughs> and we'd try and get people off the street and then we'd film them and like well, if you weren't wrestling you were either refereeing or filming or a cameraman kind of like your old backyard days yep and I have a whole bunch of those matches where we just fucking tore the house down for eight people in a wrestling school but yeah we did two for PWA one in uh, Cambridge and one in Brantford cause the one you take uh, I'll always remember the picture Mello took and you took a German suplex off the top, but you take it flat back, whereas most people, like, turn inside out these days. So seeing you just take it like a German suplex looks so much crazier now because it's actually more dangerous. Like, it's a harder bump to take properly, whereas the backflip is, it looks harder, it looks more dangerous, but it's actually way easier, and you're just taking this, like, high-angle back bump off the top rope. It looks fucking wild. I've never seen that match fully, but I remember checking the Ontario Indie Wrestling website time and time again, looking at those photos, especially when it got voted like match of the year. And I was just like, Jesus, what did these guys do? Oh man. And I, I was not feeling that match. I don't even remember the last half of it. No shit. eh? was yeah, it from the German suplex moves together too. That was the thing with Spears. He was amazing, amazing charisma, amazing body, amazing athlete. He could do everything, but like he didn't, even if you watch him now, he doesn't have like, five or six amazing moves that he does no yeah i was the one i remember like i wanted to do this move where he'd throw me up by the armprits and then arm drag me out of the air from it yeah like almost like the d'lo brown thing where he'd pick you up by the armpits and then instead of spine breaster you i'd want him to arm drag and he's like it's gonna look so stupid and i'm like come on please and like, i convinced him or whatever because i started before him too so like technically he was nice and like okay you've been doing it longer yep I, it's so stupid how that works now I, like when i wrestle young guys i'm like what do you want to do and they're like oh like really like <laughs> and then i'll ask him after the match how did i do and it's like well you've been wrestling 15 years like yeah i don't care like maybe what i know nowadays is not what's in so i want you love it just as much as me so let's hear your opinion but so i came up with all those moves but early in the match i wanted to do a move where I would go for a tornado DDT, and mm-hmm. then he would not like I, he would not bump, and he put me sitting on my ass on the top on like the top rope, but not in the buckle, like more towards the middle. Yep. And then he'd come off the ropes and give me a big boot, and I'd take like a big shit eating, almost like clothesline out to the floor. Oh yeah, right on. So what happened was when he went to hit the ropes and give me the big boot, I didn't think of that. That when he hit the ropes, lose, it, lose it, your like, balance. Yeah, I <laughs> before he could even boot me, and I hit my head on like the corner of one of the the fans' chairs, Ugh. and I just remember getting up and looking up, and everything was yellow. Holy! And I don't even know how long I was out for. Uh, like everything just was yellow. Like I could see stuff, but it was like wearing like those sunglasses, but with a yellow tint or something. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know where I am. And then he came out to get me, and the ref was there, and they were like, "Dude, you're bleeding," and I'm like just keep going. I just remember saying, just keep going, just keep going. And they were like, okay, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, just keep going. But like, if you actually did watch the full match, you could see, like, I try and go for the blockbuster and it turns into like, I'm just doing like the weak ass forearm. And there's another move where I was supposed to go for a hurricanrana and then like go down for it, but he doesn't take it. And then he like whips me over his head. And like, you could see him saying, go down, go down. down." (laughs) I didn't know where the hell I was. 
But yeah, it was match of the year, and then I had to go to the emergency room and get stitches right after. No shit, eh? <laughs> Just, so are you still close with Spears at all? Um, When I message him, he'll message back. He's, he's polite that way. Yeah. I know. It's, no, it's been a long like, time since. It's like an acquaintance friend, right? Like sure. wrestling. But like I remember when he was in NXT, and they were supposed to do a Kitchener show. This is probably three years ago, and... I messaged him. I was like, "Dude, can you get me a dark match?" He's like, "Oh, they don't do that anymore, man." <laughs> like he, he always will respond to me. Like he'll give me a birthday message and stuff. But no, they, it's awesome. It's pretty cool, like that. If I if I message him, he will respond. But I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, it's always awesome to see guys that like you came up with really succeed. Oh yeah, you know, like That's it's the, absolutely. I'm gonna tell it here. Cesaro when he wrestled for. Uh, he wrestled like Eddie, and then I wrestled like NSW or something the next yep. day. He stayed at my house, and like that, I have to put that over every time I say anything about wrestling. Cesaro stayed at my house. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I remember <laughs> that. Friends. He stayed at my house once. That PWA show, at least one of them he worked, it was in like when PWA ran the flea market or whatever. That wasn't the one. It was one where the elements that he stayed with. Okay, him. okay, okay. So it was he a different one. That one as well. Because I remember like. I don't know if I was on that show or I just went to that show because I've worked those shows before. And the, the like, changing room backstage area was no lie like a broom closet where 12 guys would be getting changed. And I just remember being like, Cesaro, legitimately, like, top five best wrestlers in the world, is here changing in this, yeah, like, broom closet. he was so closet. hungry. Like, yeah. he didn't want to get a hotel because I remember Eddie... Um, Eddie lived with me at that point, and I had a fiance, and I had a newborn, and um, so this is 12 years ago, and uh, he's like, hey man, I really need uh, Sarah Del Rey and Cesaro to stay with you, and I'm like, dude, all I have is that bloody air mattress in the basement, <laughs> and he's like, no, no, he's perfectly, he's so cool with it, he's so fine with it, I'm like, okay, like, just thinking Eddie's saying what yeah, sure. to get, get me to say yes, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll talk to the uh, significant other here and try and convince her, because... The last time we had wrestlers stay with us, it didn't go over well, so... No, yeah, I, I took a lot... we had a newborn, so it oh. was like... But yeah, they were so respectful. Like, I was trying to show them how to use the TV, and they just wanted to know where the shower... But they were very, like, gracious. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is all I have is this air mattress. I took Down a lot there. from them that weekend because, like, I was almost embarrassed that they were, like, getting changed in this small locker room. And I remember, the, I think that same show, it didn't draw well, but it was just, like, they were just like, this is indie wrestling. Like, sometimes it's it looks big league, and sometimes it's this. But they they never let on that, like, this was beneath them, or that they didn't want to be there, or they didn't work hard. It was just like, this is what we do. If more people come, great. If they don't, that's fine. But, like, this is indie wrestling. I am an indie wrestler. I took a ton from them that still, like, sits with me to this day, that you treat every show the same, you treat everybody the same, and, yeah, they were just joys that weekend. Yeah, just, like, the pride they took in, like, I guess it was their business at their time, their livelihood, and, like, and to, to humble themselves and all that stuff. Yep. And, like, probably still just be happy to be doing that instead of working a 9-to-5. That's it, too. Like, you want to be a pro wrestler, and that's part of the deal. You Not every... Not every booking you're going to take is Monday Night Raw or fucking WrestleMania. Like, this is the nitty-gritty of it. And personally, I've never been on their level, but I find those funny little shows that you're almost, like, embarrassed to... You don't want anybody you know to see you wrestle on it and stuff. Those are actually the shows I remember. Those are the ones with the funny stories. 
you know, like those are the ones with the most personality at the end of the day, looking back. So I really hold a lot of those shows, not just PWA, but just like all encompassing all those shows, uh, very high because they're some of my favorite times. And I hope, um, they kind of look at it the same as well. I know for me it does because a lot of the best matches I wrestled, like probably my top 10 matches were all under 20 people in the audience. And it's like, man, sometimes I, I get, uh, you know, you can't be positive all the time. I'm a really positive person, but I'm like, you know what? If I wrestled some of those matches nowadays where everybody has a phone camera and everybody films everything, like I'd be way more over now than I was back then because just no one knew me. But at the same time, I'm like, well, the match might have been different. Like, yep. you know, just like be thankful for what you have. And and then some of those small shows, like you're saying Cesaro, like that's how you put yourself over is just by uh, building bridges with everybody. You might be on a small show and there's only... 10 people in the audience, but one of those wrestlers might say, well, that guy was really good and get you booked somewhere else. Like, that's, yeah. That's he didn't care. He still worked hard. That yeah, kind of stuff. That's the game. I've always taken a lot of pride in, uh, cause when I was younger, I'd go to wrestling shows with my dad and a lot of these shows didn't draw fucking more than 25 people. And I didn't know back then just cause I was so kind of in bewilderment that I was watching a live professional wrestling show. But, I remember my dad would always be like, those guys aren't trying hard. Those guys aren't trying. Like, they're taking it easy. And then, like, Showtime Eric Young would come out, and he'd be like, that that guy went hard. That guy fucking oh, got yeah, our money's he worth. He have a five-star match because he's taping it. He's taping it. That was a, I was pretty blessed because Jesse would tape everything. Mm. And at one point, I lived with him at the school, and so he'd have his VCR, and I'd just put my tape in, or he'd have his camcorder with the, like, white, red, and yellow cords, and he'd put it to the vcr and i could always get my match off of him oh yeah so i was pretty like even in those pwa if there's only 10 people in the audience i knew if they were recording it and they'd have like someone on commentary so i was like to me it's like this is a tv taping absolutely how many people are there and there's a lot of pride there that like i want word to get out from those 10 people be like yeah there was no crowd but fuck they went so hard Right, that's almost what gets my blood pumping. Where it's just like I want people to realize, like, fucking O'Shea tried to have match of the year in front of ten people. So then maybe they'll tell five of their friends, and then the crowd slowly get bigger. And I find actually locker rooms themselves are more on that wavelength of thinking now. Because now everybody, if it's a big crowd, it's just a bonus. But everyone tries so hard all the time now, and I just love that atmosphere. Well, yeah, especially now, like, well, I guess it's changing now, but, like, WWE and AEW and Impact and all them have been filming with no... Imagine trying to do a match with zero crowd and no adrenaline, Yeah. but you know the camera's rolling. I think that's kind of how I felt back then, but it's hard to reimagine what that feeling would be, especially, like, in multi-million dollar companies. Yes, big time. You need, like, that was the thing. As long as the champ monkeys were there, they were making noise, so it, like, helped you. That they don't get the credit they deserve for how much they helped shows back then because more often than not they were more than fifty percent of the audience and they were oh, yeah. the only ones Mello making noise. Uh, that Ontario board and uh, Gordo's website at yep. one point, like just putting it over to everyone, just made everybody seem like a bigger deal. Like it, there was results available online and like pictures. I had pictures like when I first got my MySpace. It was all mellow pictures. Yep. 
mellow having a picture with the mellow like a watermark at the bottom that was like uh like a fraternity like entrance like you had that and it was just like okay you're somebody all of a sudden because those were like prestigious things to get i remember going if there was a show there was like an, uh, mike shea ran a show in like ingersoll in 03 and i wanted to go and i couldn't and i remember like it was an afternoon show because it was outdoors and Mello yeah, I, wrestled, uh, I wrestled Agent Orange on that. That's right. Holy fuck, that is right. But like, oh, Me- so you did go? No, no, no. The only reason I know is because Mello had the photos like uploaded as soon as he got home, and getting like live results and stuff back then wasn't really a thing. So being able to see actual photos from an event from that day was mind blowing. Yeah, man. We I remember it rained a little bit that day, and we changed like. I don't know what business was down, but there was, like, a gym upstairs, and we changed there, and then the ring was just, like, in the street that was closed off for, like, the festival or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, great times, dude. Like, oh, I I really, I I think everybody, nostalgia, you always look through with, like, the rose-colored glasses, but I really did enjoy that time when social media was just taking off, and it wasn't so apparent. But it was still something. Started kind of thing. Yes. YouTube. I remember there was this other one. There was YouTube and this other one because I had a couple of matches. I had the Spears match up on it, and it was it was basically like YouTube part two or something. But then that site went down, and I'm like, no, because I didn't save all the matches. (laughs) They're all coming out now, which is good. But yeah, for me, I like to look back at the people that did it before me and look at like that's we're a part of this history, and they laid the groundwork for us and. But at the same time, I was like, well, wrestling got popular. It would always been there. But it's like, still. Still, like, yeah. You know, the, and when I was there in 2000, there was only like three or four promotions. That's uh, one thing I really like talking to about, like, with guys like you. And uh, last week I had Ricky Stardust on and stuff. I I get a real kick out of learning, like, the history of Ontario indie wrestling and whatnot. Because I only know what I know type deal. And there's not a lot of history written online about it. So hearing the stories from guys that were doing it in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, before I really came around, I love it because I recognize all the names and places and promotions, but it's like, these are stories I've never heard before, and it just, it really kind of gets me going hearing some of this stuff. Like, I had no idea that you started before Eddie, for whatever reason, I thought Eddie trained you, like... No, he was he was amazing though. He had this notebook and he like he was the king of the chain wrestling. He like like I did it all in memory, but he had this book. I, I wish he still had it of like every little reversal, every little like pivot with your foot and how many everything. He he really took it seriously. Like not saying I didn't, but like I was just another level. What kind of role I was gonna be? But he knew he was gonna be like that scientific technical wrestler. No, I get it. There was... Oh, yeah, I love the history. And because we're a part of it, I've never been a part of anything in my life, mm. except for wrestling. It's the only thing that I'm kind of a part of, I guess. That, that is a cool way of looking at it, too, that I never thought of. Um, I'll give you some questions now. I won't keep you much longer, because I do got some good ones. But this, yeah. fir- this first question I'm going to ask, I think I know the answer, because I think most of us have the same experience. But who knows? Uh, worst payday in wrestling. Oh, I didn't get paid for the first, like, two years. And that, that's kind of what I was expecting, too. Uh, yeah. So Okay, well, the worst one, like, that actually where I was expecting something, there was this guy, Wild Thing Willie Allen, and he ran in uh, 
I think he ran Ingersoll too, but mostly Orangeville. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eddie got me all my bookings because I was like I said, I never tried to get booked. He found all these message boards and stuff, and he would message the guys and get booked and then they'd say like do you have anyone to wrestle or i just show up and help with the ring and sometimes i'd wrestle sometimes i wouldn't but that he got me almost all my bookings just tagging along or fox would get booked and i would tag along in the car with them mm-hmm. so anyway um so i tagged along to a wild will wild thing willie allen he's a character you could do it a huge episode on him he lived in the graveyard had a ring in the graveyard what but, really uh, <laughs> yeah he trained people in the graveyard like he was like the caretaker of the graveyard but anyway he ran shows in this it was like a big hockey arena and sometimes we do them downstairs in the actual hockey arena and sometimes we do it upstairs there was like a little conference room but uh anyway we one time i came along and i got booked so then i started getting regular books so the first time i didn't get paid but then it was like okay i'll throw you guys some gas money or whatever right so he paid all the guys first, the big guys like Scott Chase and the Highlanders and Sean Spears and Flex Falcone and all those guys. And me and Eddie are waiting. And my mom drove us there. <laughs> my mom ended up moving. She ended up moving to Cambridge. So she drove us there. And so we're sorry, it'll just be a minute. We're just waiting to get paid so we could give her a little bit for gas or stop at Dairy Queen or whatever. And he literally paid me like four dollars in nickels and a Dairy Queen coupon. <laughs> like he, he was like, this is all I have. And I'm like, okay, like, I still need it. And it was like nickels and dives. And he was like, counting it out to me. Like, it took him like three minutes to count out like four dollars <laughs> and 30 cents of nickels and dimes. And then he gave me a free burger coupon for Dairy Queen. <laughs> they were the sponsors of the show. So we both got a free burger. So we went there. So that's kind of like the funniest one. I that's guess. a good one, yeah. Because I think we all have the same experience about working for free or not getting paid when we were told. But sometimes being promised you were going to get paid and then oh, not getting yeah. paid is worse. Yeah, but like when I first started wrestling, it was for the promotion of the wrestling school. So I guess it was just part of your training and paying sure. your dues. I wasn't even... I didn't even care about getting paid at that point. To this day, I say, like, I love that I get paid. I love that people are willing to pay me. But, like, my big dark secret that I never want to get out, even though I say it on the podcast, is push comes to shove. Sometimes I'd pay to wrestle. Like, I love it that much. Like the Kid Copeland thing where he paid, like, 200 bucks to get on the, uh, what is uh, Scott DeMore's promotion? Oh, Border City? Yeah, he paid to be on the Border City show, (laughs) 200 bucks. But, like, uh, and everyone laughed about it. I laughed, too. But at the same time, I'm like, I get it, though. I do get it. Yeah, I know. You know what I I mean? I almost like you want you want to earn it, but at the same time, I would wrestle for free any day. Yep. Um, but you can't though, because then you lose respect. Like, and, and you have to accept a payday. Yeah, that's the thing. And then if you pay to get on shows, you're really undercutting guys that deserve the pay that need the pay to get on shows. So it's like, why would I book this guy when you're willing to pay me? You might be shitty, but you're almost taking a spot from somebody. I get it though. I uh, like. Yeah. I know, and then you get all the young guys looking for experience, then. Everyone gets hot because all the new promotions are using these young guys because it's hard to make money at wrestling. Like, who actually makes money doing a wrestling promotion? Very few people. It's very difficult, yeah, especially indie. When I had that Willow show, I did this YouTube show, I did promotion spotlights, and this is three years ago, and there was 37 promotions in Ontario that I covered. But probably only five of them were making money. So, like, I get it, and, like... How can you blame the young guys who are just trying to, like, because I was there once. Too, yeah. So it's a tough situation to be in because they're like, well, should I book this guy that costs $150 or I can get these six guys for, like, 
fifty dollars. That's it. You know, like, yeah. it's such a tough spot to be in. Um, favorite spot you've ever done? My favorite spot I've ever done. Well, I just recently did uh, ten most impressive clips, and I just chose to put all like crazy ones. But my favorite spot, I don't know why. Okay, I'll try and keep it short. I'm sorry I'm going long. No, no, don't. Feel free to go long. But, okay, whenever I wrestled Super K, or it was Sean Ball at first, he had been wrestling, like, three years more than me, and he was, like, really hot. Like, he was in Neo Spirit. He was a tag team with Danger Boy, Eric Stream. Like, him and Eric Young had all their first matches together. And he was, like... He was an athlete. He could do all the flips and shit. I couldn't. I would just had heart. Like, I was willing to jump off things, but I can't do a backflip or, like, I can if I do the clothesline one with the ropes assistance. But, yeah. But anyway, so he would, he loved wrestling me. And the reason he loved wrestling me is he put the entire matches together most of the time. And then I would just squeak in. I would just go and be like, I just want to get these three moves in. And it usually was a hard time to get those three moves in because he, ha- like, he has to memorize it for him to do it. Yeah. So anyway, but so we were doing this one, and I can't remember if it was a ladder match or just a no rules match. And the only spot I ever wanted to do in this match was I was going to set up the ladder and uh, have it like on the apron and then on the chair. So it was like the ladder was a table almost. Sure. One side's leaning on the apron, one side's on the chair, and it was like on the outside of the ring by those stairs and elements. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And then I wanted to make it seem like I was going to throw them over onto it or something, but right when I got back in the ring he clotheslined me and i went over and like crotched myself on the ladder <laughs> and that was like i wanted to do it and it looked good and i don't know i just i always loved that spot because no i don't think i'd seen anyone else do it at that time and then i ended up incorporating it um i guess it's the same spot but it's not but i just my love with getting crotched on ladders <laughs> um when me and me and eddie osborne and sean ball had the three-way ladder match when i pulled Epic. the belt off and won at the last second he kicked the ladder and i crotched myself on the top of the ladder as <laughs> That match was so fucking epic, too. I remember that. I remember being nervous for you guys, because I was like, I know they're going to do some batshit crazy shit. Oh, I know. And that's the thing that pisses me off, though, because, like, back then, the veterans were getting all hot of us. Eddie Osborne's first match, which was, like, my fourth match, Giza and Scott Demore and all those guys got so mad at us because we were opening contests, and our trainer said he wanted like a wcw cruiserweight style match so we did everything fast and kicked out of everything and did all these finishers and stuff like that and our trainer sid summers watched us do that match in practice and okayed everything he's like that's exactly what i want blah 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 (laughs) and then we got heat after the match like there's nothing left for us to do anymore guys like you took every single move there's nothing blah 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 everyone was hot at us and stuff like that and then our trainer didn't even stick up for us and i was just like oh man that's, that's what we were told to do and yeah and so and then all these veterans were mad at me for doing this stuff and then these matches that the footage exists but it's like such poor quality and stuff like that i'm like if i could do that match now i'd be like the king shit but it's like now my body's so beat up i tried not to do that stuff. yeah and it's just like man if i could that style is so hot now where before it was like we were doing way too much and now it's like that's a normal TV raw match or something. Elements is like probably top three of my favorite venues I've ever wrestled in too. That place was just a gold mine. Oh, it was. Per- it had like that. I, I don't want to say that, but like almost like ECW feel, like that underground feel. Like Very much so. Was, 
everything yeah it just had this i don't know yeah and the crowd was there to have a good time too like they weren't there to sit on their hands they were there to make noise and get wild and it was such a good atmosphere and the tapes don't hold up but it was being there live with the spotlight on you down on that dance floor by the stage and like all the lighting they had it actually looked awesome for wrestling but all the tapes it looks so dark yeah and ha- having to walk through the crowd and stuff to get to the ring, and and then the ring was in yeah. this pit. Oh, it was it was awesome. And doing some of those moves, like uh, some of the matches would be like no DQ, so we'd end up fighting up there by the bar in the people, and that was like scary, but at the same time like goosebumps. Yes, very much so. Just because they they were so into it, so that the, the people make it really right. That's all. It is. The same match. But it depends on how the people are receiving it. Okay, we got a wild card here. How many habanero peppers do you think you can eat in one sitting? I don't know. I'm not a big spice guy. I can deal with a little bit of spice. So I'm not doing it as a challenge. So I'll just say like five or something. Because I don't want to do like Hacker Scotty O'Chase spicy habanero. Challenge. Free with complimentary toilet and toilet paper. Oh, I hate like I like spice mixed in with my food, but I'm not the guy to like eat all peppers or nothing. Like I'm kind of low on mild. I like mild spice. Um, How long have you had your orange vest, and where did you get it? I bought it at Zellers in 2000 because um, in the Cambridge Center Mall. Because what happened was I came up to the wrestling school, and at that time, in like August or might have been September by now of 2000 there was this kid on the news called Elaine gonzalez and there was this huge thing he's like an eight-year-old kid where his mom or his dad took him to the states and they had to get like the swat team to bring him back to cuba or something there was it was huge it was on all the national choirs and everything like that and i guess i looked like him somewhat so they started calling me alien <laughs> the cuban kid and then they were like oh so what are you gonna do you need like you need like cuban army cargo pants so i'm like okay so i went and bought those and they're like, well, what are you going to wear? And then they're like, you need something. You need, like, padding, like, almost like a D'Lo Brown vest or something because you're just too skinny. And they're like, you need a life jacket because you're the Cuban. You came in on the raft because I think that was the story of the kid. He came on the raft or something like that. <laughs> came over on a raft. I don't know. So they were like, you need a life jacket. So I saw this orange vest in Zeller's, and I was like, that's perfect because you can't wear a life jacket because it has all those buckles and shit on it. So they're like, and then look, so it was like my replica of my life jacket. It was like sentimental value of my life jacket. That's awesome. But yeah. Um, this the same with the pants. I've had those pants since 2000. The same pants. My mom sewed the knees twice, but it's the same. I've had the, even my wrestling boots I bought off my trainer. They were used for $50. All of them I've had for, well, it'll be 20 years in October would be my 20 year anniversary. No shit. That's fucking crazy. It's all original. Never paid. I've paid under a hundred dollars for a year in twenty years. The vest <laughs> was twenty, the pants were twenty, and the boots were fifty. That might be a fucking record, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I seen this thing on YouTube, like the cheapest wrestler in the world, and he's like doing tea bags or something to do tanning oil or something. I'm like, dude, I only spent ninety bucks. <laughs> um, this one's a little. It's worded a little awkwardly, or maybe I'm just interpreting it awkwardly. But we'll, we'll try to decipher it. Why do you create the art that you do? I think they mean the wrestling art? I think so. I'd imagine so, unless there's something I'm not aware of. 
you're a painter and I'm not aware of. No, I, I, I'm, I've written some crappy rap songs. I'm not an artist as far as painting or drawing. So I'm assuming they mean wrestling because I consider it an art too. Like I said, when I first started doing it, I just wanted to be different and do the things that I wanted to see so badly. Mm -hmm. But when I came back, I realized all the, like, it's so nice to reminisce with you and, and you talk about those fond memories for me, but no one remembers other yeah. than like a select few and no one really cared. And like, I'd get, I'd get myself killed where I could barely walk the next day or I'd have to miss work or I'd, I missed a lot of time in wrestling for severe injuries and no one remembered me. Like when I was gone is like, you're forgotten about the next day that you don't wrestle. Yeah. So when I came back, I'm like, I have to be really, what happened is my kid, when he was five, he started getting into wrestling with some of his friends, right? So he, like John Cena and that kind of shit. So I started taking him to PWA shows like, hey, Eddie, do you mind if we come, blah, blah, blah. And I was watching from the crowd, and I'm like, all these guys are fine. None of them are doing anything wrong, but there was a couple that stood out to me because they worked the crowd so much. And that's what, it was always a good pairing with me and Jesse, because I was so shy and I didn't want to talk, so we pretended like I could only say Cuba, and Jesse would <laughs> carry the weight of the, that kind of shit. But then I was like, I need to just, because in wrestling, I was always so worried about screwing up a move. Yeah. If I if I had like a five-star match, but I just missed one little move, even if the crowd didn't notice, it would just eat me alive for, for days. But then I was, and I was always so worried about you being embarrassed. I couldn't make eye contact with the crowd. I just wanted to get in there and get in the ring and then do the moves as fast as I can. I never wanted to stop and breathe in the match and work the crowd. And I'm like, I'm going to come back. And one, I can't like... I had I took it about a year and a half off at this point because my injuries were so bad and also um, some family problems. So I ended up becoming a single part uh, parent, and so it was hard. I couldn't leave my kid anywhere. Like I had to focus on that. So Absolutely. it was a perfect time to, to heal the injuries and blah blah blah. So anyway, I'm trying trying to cut this short. So I was like, when I come back, instead of being so hard on myself, if I just go out there and embarrass myself on purpose then if I do do anything embarrassing, well, that's just part of the show. And then I can still throw in some of my old classic bumps here and there, but I don't have to do all of them. So it's like, I can do it more longevity. I won't get as her play character a bit more. So just kind of mix the two. Yep. And now people want autographs and people want to buy my shirts and people remember me and I'm popular online. And it's like, Oh, why the fuck didn't I do this 20 years ago? <laughs> that's all part of the experience. Anything, but at the same time, I'm like, man, that was a winning formula. And now it's like where I'm like, so out of shape and like people probably see me wrestle now. And like I wrestled super K like last year and it was just like a simple thing where like, you know, when you grab them behind the waist and you go to run them in the ropes and they hold on sure. or sometimes they don't hold on and you do the back roll up thing. Yep. Well, he held on and I was supposed to like do a back roll. And then he was going to kick me or whatever. I couldn't even do the back roll. Like, I went to do the back roll, and then I just had to, like, spin to my knees. Like. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's all right. You got it. Like, that's kind of the fun about wrestling is, uh, like, everybody starts off as that stupid, energetic kid that won't listen to what the older guys are saying because you think they're just being lazy. When really it's like, no, 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 they they've done what we're doing and they're just trying to give us their wisdom of to slow it down, make everything mean something. But sometimes it just takes you living through it for that light bulb to really go off. Cause I, I've felt that recently where it's just like, Oh, maybe those guys weren't just jealous 
and weren't just trying to slow me down. They were, they actually were trying to help me. I just interpreted it differently. So it's yeah, really everybody's journey. It's like you can do that stuff and make it meaningful and like do it when you're getting a big payday or the end of a big feud. And like a lot of those wrestlers in their autobiographies will say, you don't learn how to work until you learn how to work hurt. Well, they were wrestling seven days a week, mm -hmm. but I totally get that because it, you're able to play to your strengths more being like a bit of a cripple now. Like I'm able to like do things, but under my terms and make them, make them more out of, out of one little thing. I can just, I, like, I just do this drop kick off the apron. Mm -hmm. And I can make that seem like such a huge thing, where before that would have been, like, my third move in the match, and I'd do eight more and more impressive moves than that. But leave, I kind of try and leave them wanting more instead of, like, hitting every single thing now. That's what brings them back, right? Like, Yeah. That... And, and if you're not the main event, then, like, I know everybody wants to have the best match, but, like, if you know these guys are going to go out and have, like, a no- DQ tables match in the end, then what, why are you getting thrown through a table? Like, Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. just common sense. Yeah. Right? Like, you got to try to have the best match, match the night within your limits. Yeah, and I think there's such a variety where fans like everything where you can have, that's the perfect show to me, like one really fast-paced, like cruiserweight-style match, like maybe a hardcore match, one big man match where like it's like they do the test of strength and shit and like a good tag team match, a good females match, like that's when you're going to appeal to most audiences. Cause like, if you have every match as a five-star match, well, I think that's the thing that gets me too. I'm sorry. I'm getting all my shit in here. No, don't like I'm going on a rant. Go like, for it. If you go to a show, an indie show, and there's a hundred people there. And, uh, then you go online the next day, you go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. There's like five people that were at that show. And they're usually between the ages of like 15 to 25 that are the most vocal, like at the young adult age. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going on and saying, this guy had the best match. This guy had the best match. And then everybody believes it. It's like the back in the old Ontario indie wrestling board days where, and the people would make fake accounts and vote for themselves. Yep. But like, if you actually did a poll at the end of the show and like most of the, if it's like a family of four there, the, the mom and dad, their two kids, and you actually pulled everybody what their favorite matches, they would all say different things and it'd probably be more even. Yep. But people always go by media, and if there's only five people talking about the show out of those 100, that's what you get. Like, oh, they had the match of the night because these five people said so and they were really there, but you didn't ask those other 95 people. No, you are nailing it on the head right now. There's a big culture in wrestling right now where it's like, I understand it because it does, it's almost um, how you get further, but it's a perception is reality thing. And there's a lot of guys that will have matches, then go on their Twitter and said, just had match the night. People that weren't even at that show now will read that and go, oh, so-and-so had match the night at this show. He could have had the worst match, but just them giving their their own opinion and kind of misconstruing their reality that they had the best match now people start to believe it where i'm just a big believer in i'm gonna let my work speak for itself i'd rather get a compliment once every six months but it be one from somebody that saw me at a show that truly means it than me almost like egging compliments on by saying things like that if that makes any sense yeah and i remember like back in the day you were just like me, you were hitting every move and having the impressive matches. But then when you got in that group where you were like the heel leader of the group, that was, to me, your best work because you were showing layers. You could do all those moves. 
and you were so great as a heel because you were just eating moves too. Like you barely did any offense. Well, that's another but, thing. Like, that's it's just like the how you evolve, but like. That's the thing that sucks with wrestling. The casual fans, the family of four, that's the ones you want to come back to the show. You're selling yeah. four tickets where that teenager or 19-year-old, he's going to come by himself, and he's the most vocal, and he knows more about wrestling than everyone. But I don't know. you you got to – and it's so hard because everybody likes different things. It's that's like, it. Nobody's wrong. That I don't like that song, but you're not wrong, right? Yeah, no, nobody's wrong. It's just, it's just a perception thing, and right or wrong, I don't even know what it is, but it is a very apparent thing right now. Uh, we got two questions left, so let me just think. Okay. I made it... I always do this. I get a bunch of questions, and then I kind of... I, I feel like the smart thing to do is save, like, the best question for last. But I always yeah, just run through them. On a high note. So, I think I got the best question. Maybe you'll just get a pop out of it to keep the last. So. Where did... I didn't even see this. Like, where did you get people to submit questions to me? On uh, Instagram and Facebook. Oh, okay. I missed it. Because I'm all over Facebook, but I don't really go on Instagram very often, but I didn't see it. I just put it in my story. I didn't really make a status. So you might have... I don't even look at Facebook stories, honestly. I only no, put it in there, so... Well, thanks to everybody that submitted questions and, you know... We got a lot sure. of questions that I haven't even asked. We just kind of covered it by talking, so I don't want to just go back to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, do you feel like Kushida stole your orange vest gimmick? I, I highly doubt that they know anything about me. <laughs> and then yesterday, I seen that there was some girl in Shine or Shimmer that wore an orange vest at some point. Oh, yeah? But at least, I, I mean, I can always have the proof that I did do it in 2000, but I highly doubt anybody is taking anything from me. But I like to claim that he did out of respect for me because I'm his favorite. But yeah, of course. Way, just in a joking way. But I didn't even know. I don't really watch that much nowadays that often i just don't really have the time for it so like everybody always brings these things to my attention that and uh like i watch a lot of wrestling like a ton of wrestling and i'm still not like up to date with everything because there's so much live wrestling every week like i probably watch a couple hours a night and that's not watching raw not watching smackdown i essentially only watch wwe pay-per-views and stuff and it's just there is such a backlog at all times. It's almost uh, too much yeah, to wrap yeah. your mind around. <laughs> like, it's almost good just to take a break because trying to keep up with everything is a full-time job in itself. It'd be almost better if, like, they just had some show that had all the copyrights and they could do, like, a two-hour of the best wrestling of the week from all the promotions. Yes. Something like they did back in the old... Uh, territory days, they'd have like so all the territories would send in their tapes to this. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, and you just get like the best of everything, and you get the gist of everything happening. Yeah, I, I honestly thought um, what happened was with the COVID and the the no crowds, and then also there was no hockey and baseball and basketball, which I'm really into. I just started getting focused on other things, and to me, wrestling really needs the crowd. Yep, and I just haven't picked back up on it yet. I've been watching a little bit here and there, but, like, I usually just watch clips on, like, Facebook or social media that people will share, like, whatever happened. You, you get the gist of it. That's typically what I do for a lot of stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, you know what's going on still, yep. but, like, that's when I stopped watching as much as when there was no crowds. I was just like, oh, I don't understand. Like, I watched WrestleMania, and I'm like, I just... It was rough. the same. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. All right, final question. Uh... Maybe this will spawn going to a, a tangent. Who knows? But if not, no worries. 
Who is your favorite Hellraiser? Out of the Texas Hellraisers? I'm assuming so. And judging by who sent in the question, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I would say Scott Chase just because I never wrestled Tyron Eric Dawson. I wrestled Scott Chase on two occasions, and especially uh, back then. I wrestled him for the first time in 2005. I have respect for Eric Dawson. I look up to him. I've seen a lot of his tag matches. Not as many of his singles, but some. Because I, I converted all those tapes for everybody. I got a DVD VHS converter. So I started going through all the old Jesse Jones PWA tapes. And oh, wow. Red, Reggie gave me some of his tapes and Scott Chase. So I've been converting them all and then putting them on YouTube for uh, the 365. But anyway, when I first met Scott Chase, it was at a Willie Allen show in like 2003. And he was the champ. And I, like I've mentioned before, I was really shy and like, but he was a really polite to me and really nice to me. And I'm like, wow, he's the champ. Like, because a lot of champs in those promo promotions back then were dicks. Yeah. Like you'd get Bruiser Bedlam was the champ of our promotion and he was. A murderer. Bruiser Bedlam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Giza was never really a dick to me, but he could be to other people that rubbed him the wrong way, but. So a lot of them were just full of themselves, or they just weren't polite and blah blah blah. But he was always so nice, and like so, I like was like, wow, he's the champ, blah blah blah. So then I got to wrestle him for PWA like two years later, and he was just so giving. I like I thought that it like because I was so used to being yes sir, no sir, and just do what I was told, and I was happy with that. I just loved being a part of the show. But he was like, and I remember because he's like, I want you to, su I'm going to go for a suplex here and then you reverse it and you suplex me. And I'm like, dude, I'm not strong. Like I can get you over, but it's going to look like shit. Cause I didn't ever do power moves really. Like that was never my thing, lifting people up. And other than the one DDT move I did, but like, and he was just so like confident, like, he's like no, it'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know. He was just so, it was just such a great experience. And I remember going home after that and just having so much more confidence because like, yep. I held my own with this guy who was like kind of at the top at, at that time. That's it. Scott's a guy I really would like to get on the podcast. We've been trying to have a match together at um, MCW in Brantford forever. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's still on the short list. I mentioned it to Ricky Stardust last week. I have a, a list of guys I want to wrestle, and they're kind of the guys I watched before I broke in. And it's getting harder and harder because, you know, as time passes, they leave wrestling. So there's a few guys. I think I actually forgot to put him in that category when I was talking to Ricky Stardust last week. But he is definitely one of the guys I want to get in before he calls it a career, too. Because not only is he a great wrestler, just a great dude. Yeah, he was always really nice. Like, to this day. Really, really professional. And yes. Just behaved accordingly because uh, there was different things that would go on in the locker room back then that wouldn't fly in the offensive of society nowadays and I never see him doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, just the just rib wise or just inappropriate behavior or any of that kind That's of stuff. That's it. He's just a humble guy, a locker room leader, but not by force, just by um I don't know, just by example, really. Yeah, he's a leader by example and he's positive. Like, That's he's always got a smile big one. on his face and he's just happy to be wrestling. Like he loves it so much. That's it. But that's why he's my favorite. Out of the two. I think that's the answer that uh, was being fished for through the question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just an emotional thing. Like, I hold them near and dear to my heart where I don't even know if I ever met uh, the other one, Tyrant Eric Dawson. All right, dude. That's it. Thank you so much. That was a real good time. That was awesome. I'm sorry we went over time. No, not at all. 
I, I make it sound like, because I never know how long a guest is willing to give me. So if I can get just close to an hour, that's all I'm looking for. But really, we can go forever. I, it doesn't matter to me. You're just giving me more content. I just try to kick out an hour a week. But this was fantastic. You were a great guest. I, nothing better than a guest that, like, has stories and is willing to talk. And that was well, you, you exactly. you kind of gave me the prep talk before. But you are a good interviewer. But I, I did. Like, I felt like... I should try and go along on some of the answers because one, it's more interesting, and two, you want to get your story out there, and three, like you said, like you might not have a lot of questions, so try and make the most out of each one. That's it, man. This was a real fun time. I really do appreciate you uh, giving me your time. This is a good time, and hopefully, um, maybe some of the younger guys will listen to this and kind of search out some old Alien Habanero matches and really kind of... Uh, just discover you for the first time yeah i'm so happy that some of this old stuff came out like uh, the match we were talking about that one's on youtube now but it kind of misses that thing but yeah like even if they don't just for you to show your respect because you're so highly regarded everyone loves you like i swear to god you get tagged on more things on social media than you actually put out yourself (laughs) everyone just thinks you're the greatest guy which i'm not saying you're not but like for you to give me this platform and just talk to me like other people would talk about you that no, that means a lot man it's all about giving back and you came before me and i gotta show my respects to you and you know it, it it's all part of it and i love it i love wrestling wrestling is life life is wrestling that's right let's do it ring the bell <laughs> oh man but dude thank you so much this was a real good time and uh hopefully we can do it again sometime yeah that'd be great i, I enjoyed myself as well all right buddy take care thanks again all right, you too. Peace. All right, guys, that's the... Oh, fuck! Forgot to ask him for a fucking song. God damn it. Uh, do I call him back? No. God damn it. Okay, uh, the song this week is... Um, give me a second here. God damn it. I had it ready. I was like, don't let him go without asking for a song. Cuban songs. That's dumb. It's going to be things I don't know about. Um, Okay, since uh, it's the first day of fall, first official 24-hour day of fall, my song of the week is going to be by Joe Nichols called Sunny and 75. It's a reminiscent, it's a song reminiscing about summer and a hot girl on the beach. I don't know. Is it timely? Is it not? I don't fucking know. What I really hope you guys enjoyed was that interview. You like the song bonus, but Elian is a really good dude. Um, everything I said to him, I truly believe. He's a madman. He's taken some crazy fucking bumps in his life. He loves wrestling. I just love guys like that. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Uh, really go out of your way to watch some of his stuff. If anything, if you don't want to spend too much time, I'm going to search for it right now. It's Elian Habanero. Jesse Jones music video. That's exactly what I'm typing into Google. I think I'm about to find it. Sorry, this is a lot of dead air here. I got another fucking podcast to do, like, in an hour. So I hope this doesn't drag too much. Um, I'm going to 
Christ, I can't find it. it I've been f seeing it on Facebook more. If I find it, I'm going to have to retweet it. But it's like a four-minute music video, Jesse Jones versus Elin Habanero, to YouTube Elevation. And it's just a great music video, old-school music video. It looks like it was edited through VCRs. Um, it's just a really good time to watch, man. You get to see some of Elin's greatest hits there. Maybe not, maybe he wouldn't think so, but... Uh, that's kind of the highlights I have for Elian, some of that stuff, because it's just wild. Um, God damn, I can't for believe I forgot to ask him for a song. But I hope you guys like that one. Um, I got some good stuff in store coming up. I hope you guys enjoy the phone interviews, because I think they're going to happen more, especially with COVID. Not that I really give a shit about having people over, but it just makes things easier. Instead of people having to drive to my house and donate more time, it's just an hour and a half or so, and then we're done. So hopefully the phone interviews are good for you guys, because I think we'll be doing more of them. And uh, yeah, I got some good stuff coming down. Uh, also, I'm not Hacker Scotty O'Shea anymore. You can still call me Hacker. I don't give a fuck. I understand why you'd call me Hacker. Uh, you can still call me Scotty O'Shea. You can call me Blaze for all I care. But I have officially rebranded to Antihero SOS. I'm just throwing shit at the wall, guys. There's a hacker at, in Impact. There was a hacker in WWE. It was time to switch things up. Before COVID, for the past like year or two, I've been flirting with the idea of switching things up. And then with this six-month break, I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity. So I'm just trying some stuff. It, if it seems a little wonky right now, it's because it probably is. But I'm going to try to just nail it. And hopefully, um, in a couple years or so, years or so, you guys will know me as anti-hero as much as you guys reference me as hacker. And if not, who knows? But this is all part of the fun and games of professional wrestling. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much. Here's your song of the week. It's "Sunny and 75" by Joe Nichols.
can't wait until we get there. Sun.